0: Welcome back to Martins and More, my name is Mari Rootsch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. And today's episode is brought to you by the Martin M36. The M36 is equal parts one of the least popular Martins and at the same time one of the most versatile. It's one of those guitars that doesn't get mainstream attention, but those players in the know know that the M36 is a great guitar for so many styles. If you'd like more information on the Martin M36, Please visit mariasmusic.com today.
1: Yes, the M36 is the only uh, M in the catalog right now. It, it has a uh, triple O depth, but a jumbo top and back width, and it's a very, very balanced with a mid range that's right up balanced with the bass and the treble. I kind of hear them in my ears as a supersized triple O, extra volume. Uh, Arlon Guthrie, uh, David Bromberg, Jorma Kalkinen, there are some people out there that absolutely love the M size and the M36 with its three-piece rosewood back is attractive and easy to play for a long-scale guitar so if dreadnoughts
0: are too big for you try out that M36. I have to ask you Spoon as far as today's topic what do riding off to Boston Abbott's Bromley, Claudia's Garden, and The Bicyclist have in common. (laughs) Hmm. Well,
1: let's see. Um, They are all uh, instrumental fingerstyle compositions by yours truly.
0: I don't know how you knew that, but that's exactly the answer I was hoping for. (laughs) Let's take today's spoon. If you don't mind, I want to talk about the recording process, the inspiration, the guitars used, everything we always wanted to know about Lost and Haunted Ways, but were afraid to ask. I want to find that stuff out today.
1: <laughs> well, okay. So um, I'll try to be as brief as possible in terms of the concept. I mean, because it's basically a concept album. Uh, and in 2006, I began a, a love affair with and within England. So the album itself is, in a way, about a six-year relationship, and then the following six years when a great deal of the music finally came out. Um, And so every song, every tune on it is uh, in some way related to that. And some of them were written as songs in the sense that I specifically wanted to create a melody that sounds like a song and in a couple of cases there are, there is lyrics uh, involved though they've been uh, they've never been shared with anybody um, other ones were more uh, more modal or more rhythmic and i guess people have to listen to excerpts which they can do at my website tspguitar.com. That's TSP as in teaspoon uh, You can also find links to it on OneMans.com as well. And my uh, connection with the with the subject really goes way back because even growing up as a little kid, my mother's mother was quite proud of her English and Scottish heritage and they they have family you know records and family trees going back to medieval times in terms of who we're related to over there Um, even though everybody on both sides of my mother's and father's family were over here by 1800 or just before 1800 so it's really just more a matter of uh, family pride and perhaps DNA but so that's where the idea came from and um, so there's 12 tunes and ironically, since I just said this was all about England, the opening tune is called Riding Off to Boston. And the closing tune yeah. is called Riding Back from Boston. And um, that's because uh, for a, a couple of reasons. Um, the, the original first tune that really kind of started this all off was Riding Back from Boston, which people have heard me do on your uh, various videos and my own videos because it's the fingerstyle piece that I do to show sort of relaxed finger style playing when demonstrating guitars. And, and of all the pieces I've ever done, that's the one that gets the most email of what tune is that? And you know, and where can I get that tune? Well, you can get it on the album Lost and Haunted Ways and you can get the tab signature from it and uh, other songs as well as my website.
0: It's funny, I just remembered, every time I try to type this title in a hurry, I almost always type Lost and Haunted Ways I have a really bad habit of typing poorly, <laughs> and much like sometimes I'll say Martin is M-A-R-I-T-N, I just almost always make a typo here, when I look at it back on a graphic or something on YouTube, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if anybody likes the album Lost in Hanuted Ways, but would you ever consider changing the title?
1: Well, I don't know. We uh, <laughs> may have to talk to Al Yankovic about that. I'm sure he can make <laughs> some, something out of that. Um <laughs> So with that, for but those two pieces, riding off to Boston, riding back from Boston, are basically the same tune. One of them's upbeat and done in very upbeat pace and tempo, you know, tempo, and and uh, he is somewhat uh, effervescent. The other is more slow and contemplative. And there, uh, this is something that a lot of people seem to be surprised about. Is most of the album is in standard tuning. There's a couple of you know, there's some tunes on there that are not in standard tuning but uh, both of these are in standard tuning. Fingering for the key of G, though riding off to Boston is with a capo, so higher up the neck, again, to help lighten the mood. And, and if you've never been up that way, what used to be the old postal road goes right by the home of uh, John Adams, the second president of the United States. And me and the uh, Englishwoman in question uh, had gone up there at one point. So that's kind of was sort of the inspiration of somebody who is heading up, uh, up to Boston to see their, their true love and the anticipation of that, and uh, so that's where that you know tune came from, and that is, I guess the the seeds of this album and then what came in between it. The second song is called Morning Star over Staffordshire, and that is in fact in Dadgad and uh, Staffordshire is up in the Midlands, north of Birmingham. It is around the area where J.R.R. Tolkien came up with his idea of the Shire. And in fact, you'll see real life hobbits out there, these short round bowling ball people in their caps (laughs) and pitchforks out with their hay bales and their sheep. And there's absolutely no question that that's where Uh, Tolkien, Professor Tolkien grew up in that neck of the woods and and that's where he got his imagery for the hobbits that you see in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings but really lush awesome green uh, hill country and pasture land uh, primarily and um, so that is basically a, uh, a, a contemplative piece, the kind of thing that I would sit there and go over and over in an open tuning, or sometimes in just drop T and and let the feeling of the place come over me, whether in memory or actually in a, out sitting out, you know, in the landscape or something like that, or 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 meditating on a particular idea or a particular person. And this is a very good example of that. Though, it, though, ultimately this tune. It was meant to be the kind of tune that you would hear on, like, a Victorian music box. So I mean, that was the feeling that I was going for, When you could oh, open wow. one of those ornate, you know, music boxes and have it tinkle through. And, um, and I was always, uh, I was always uh, amazed by those as a small child, particularly the music box that played Quentin's theme on Dark Shadows, <laughs> the uh, soap <laughs> opera about vampires and werewolves. But uh, that was the very first Victorian music box that really wowed me. But I th- think that was probably in the back of my head when mm-hmm. I uh, was uh, doing that tune. I think there may be even a video of me tr- uh, doing a version of that at Morris Music at one point. That may or may not be on the on the internet. But um, oh yeah. But it had gone through many titles and I actually have a little poem on the website that said, I retitled this toot since it won't be played through, but I'm back in that garden of English dew where the dawn's early birds must still twitter and dart near the Midland spot where I left my heart beneath the tree in piggy lane from whence it has never been reclaimed. And just, you know, to be fair, that Love Affair officially ended in 2012, so it's been a while. So, and we've she and I have still made, remain very good friends, and, uh, and uh, her photography is all over that, uh, my website. But, uh, but anyway, uh, that's what I ultimately came up with uh, for Lawn Store over Staffordshire. Uh, that's followed by the tune Abbots Bromley, which by coincidence in the Big Book of British Villages is the very first... Listing because if it's A B B start, Abbot's Bromley is a uh, the village where she grew up, and over there traditionally a village uh, was large enough to have a church. So a hamlet is a basically a village that isn't big enough to have its own church. A village is big enough to have its own church. A town has an official market uh, in, in medieval days where you would get a ro- royal charter a royal warrant to have a a uh, farmers market for the you know neighboring farmland so that's what would make a town and then a city had to have a cathedral though those rules have changed a lot so you can have very small cities because they have a cathedral and really big towns because they don't have a cathedral but anyway Abbots Bromley was uh, big during the English Civil War for smuggling Uh, Mary Queen of Scots was stayed there as a prisoner of her sister Queen Elizabeth Um, on, you know, some royal progress to one of her prison uh, castles, probably uh, Tutbury Castle, which is in um, that same county. And for this, uh, this is an instrumental that is an actual song that actually has lyrics, though they've never been presented. Um, But the idea of it was an Anglican hymn, and that's what it's supposed to sound like, and the chorus of Abbots Bromley, boom, 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 is really supposed to be a homage to that town with their uh, Norman church and all that. So that's the first three. So the first quarter of the album is Riding Off to Boston, followed by Morningstar over Staffordshire, and then followed by Abbots Bromley, which is in Staffordshire.
0: I have to ask you now, at, at this part of the program, Listening to describe the first three songs of the first quarter, is it a dumb question to ask because I wonder if someone else is thinking the same thing. Are these the first three songs you recorded for the album or was it recorded out of order?
1: Oh, it was recorded out of order. Um, uh, Later on I'll get to, you know, there were some things that really didn't even get finished until uh, the album was recorded. And like with a lot of instrumental tunes and even songs that I've written, um, they continued to live on and, and evolve so this was a place in time where these were recorded but yeah these were not recorded in order I had ha- I knew that I was going to close with the last tune writing writing back from Boston and so that's when I decided to put the book end on it and the faster version, just because I like the chord progression, I had never really initially considered to be a tune. But so I basically turned that into its own thing. And they're not exactly the same. There's more, there's differences to it in, in, other than the speed between the first and last song of the album. But um, Abbott's Bromley was already Morning Star over Staffordshire. Uh, that one was developed early on. And Abbot's Bromley, I actually first started coming up with, like I said, during that kind of meditative period where I'm playing uh, and letting my mind go, uh, actually began in uh, Abbotts Bromley, even though that's in standard tuning. Um, the fourth tune is the oldest tune. It's the only one that pre-existed this concept of making the album, and that's the Steeds of Culloden. Uh, or Culloden, depending on who you ask. And um, years ago, uh, an old friend of mine from college uh, was one of the head guys on the uh, a Scottish Society here in, in New York City. And um, and so he, they would do uh, performances at La Mama ETC, uh, the Experimental Theater Club, which used to be called Cafe La Mama, which was Ellen Stewart Uh, invented off-Broadway theater in the 1950s and because she was an African American woman who was having performances behind closed doors with white men she was getting harassed and so she had to get a cafe license to legitimize what they were doing with these probably I don't know if they still called them beatniks at that time but um, but this is the place where Sam Shepard's plays were developed and uh, and people like that But, uh, of course, we're not going that far back. This is just, we're talking about in the uh, early 2000s, late 1990s. Uh, My friend Thomas Keith, who's a uh, Tennessee Williams scholar and a Robert Burns scholar, uh, have been involved with uh, Stuart for years professionally. So she allowed us to do the fundraising concerts for the Scottish Society at La Mama ETC in, in, uh, uh, in the same space where Blue Band Group started, actually. But um, but in around that same time, and so a bunch of people from all over the place, real Celtic musicians and people like me who liked Celtic music and people who had nothing to do previously with Celtic music, uh, would get together and do these shows, and then we'd also uh, at times perform at their Burns supper that they would have, Robert Burns or around Bob, Robert Burns' birthday. And so I wanted to do a piece called The Steeds of uh, Culloden. And I did research on the Battle of Culloden, which uh, Culloden was in 1746. It was the last battle ever fought on uh, Great Britain. And it was the uh, the end of the Jacobite uh, Rebellion, where the forces that wanted to bring in the Stuart family uh, uh, with Bonnie Prince Charlie tried to do a revolt, mainly with Highlanders. And they were soundly uh, defeated by the British army and the lowland, uh, their lowland Scotland allies. And so it's a still to this day very controversial thing in Scotland. But um, in my research I learned there were no steeds at Culloden, basically, because the, uh, <laughs> because the weather had been so bad uh, that the British cavalry had gotten bogged down and basically missed the battle. And as long as well as their European mercenaries, which was a bad thing because after, after the uh, Highlanders, you know, charged into the British lines and got mowed down, and it was almost like Bunker Hill or Gettysburg, where, where because of the terrain and they, um, they, you know, only broke through in one place, and very similar to Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg, and suffered horrible losses, and then retreated, and then the British cavalry. And dragoons that had basically missed the battle basically went berserk and and committed all kinds of very nasty deeds out among the wounded and all that. So this uh, this is an adventure tale about a young man escaping the carnage of Culloden on horseback, pursued by all the king's horse. And you'll have to decide uh, whether he makes it back or not. But um, so basically, it's like a it's a tone poem about a chase over over the. Uh, terrain in Scotland in 1746 so um, and originally it was done with mandolin and flute and uh, accordion with the guys that I play with here in New York City but uh, we never have
0: uh, recorded it that way but I hope
1: to to do that someday soon
0: I reserve the right to change my mind but off the cuff it might be my very favorite guitar part from this whole CD And whenever we're at the martin factory or doing some videos together and you just break into it without announcing it coming it's just like this bang and i just love the way i love the phrasing it just has a mood to it that's almost electric guitar like to me and i just every time i hear it it takes me back to the first time that i did which was a long time ago
1: well thank you Uh, and the the concept around that song musically was i wanted to try to uh, write a tune in standard tuning, but approach it like it was in an open tuning. So that basically required me to do it in E minor, because that's the closest thing to what open tuning is. So so it's in E minor, but it's very much played as if it's an open tuning kind of tune. So um, so if uh, people are not familiar with it, you've certainly heard the opening licks on, on various videos online. Um, the, the tune after Siege of Culloden, uh, Culloden number five, is The Ibex and Blackstock Road. Um, this is uh, it has its on the website uh, that's about the album. It has its own little poem saying, there once lived in Ibex back in the day at the crossroads near where the gunners play. And as spry as a lamb in May, so they say. And an Ibex, if you're not familiar with them, is one of the largest members of the goat family. So look them up because they're really cool looking and they, <laughs> they like to do stuff like get on top of people's houses in Switzerland and stuff like that. So they're, they're <laughs> um, amazing climbers and they're some of the most uh, daredevil, you know, high precipice climbers out there. And the, uh, the person in question that greatly influenced this uh, said that she had always wanted to be an Ibex growing up. And um, so <laughs> and she lived in Blackstock Road in London in Highbury. Highbury in Islington, just down the road from the old Arsenal Stadium, the Gunners being the team nickname for Arsenal, the famous British soccer team. Uh, They've since moved to a different stadium, and that stadium now has been converted into apartments, and the inside of the stadium is now uh, shared public gardens for everybody who lives inside the stadium grounds, which is a pretty amazing way to... uh, use a structure like that rather than tearing it down but anyway um, so this is in uh, this is in a, a tuning that I just came up with or maybe other people use it but um, but it's basically uh, like dad-gad but the the D is dropped down to C so it's an unusual tuning but it's a lot of fun to play around with and the whole center section it's completely improvised so anytime I've performed it, it's always come out completely different uh than it is on the record but um but in fact i need to bring that back out i that's pretty rusty because i don't drop it down into that tuning very often but um but it's a i enjoy that tune a lot it's fun and sprightly <laughs> um and then the uh so the sixth uh the the end of the first half of the album is a tune called claudia's garden and um, when I talk about those kind of meditation improvisations, this was done in the studio, and I maybe played for almost 25 minutes. And, and this is something I had done um, with this, this is in drop D, and I had done it on and off, waiting for Claudia's garden to really come out. And so in the studio, I actually sat there and played for, almost 25 minutes probably and so Claudia's garden is really just the last cycle of that and so I because I would start over and I would go over and I'd you know and I just go in these secular patterns and I had these parts in mind and I would have different parts come in at different places and just let that roll while I meditated on Claudia's garden which there's actually a photo of it on the uh, on the website of me sitting in Claudia's garden. Claudia is the mother of the, of the person in question. And so this was uh, really kind of uh, um, thinking about her and her daughters and her granddaughters and thinking of that kind of going over and over in my head. And so that's where that came from. And when it comes to recording the album, this was the very last thing I recorded, and I wished I could have started over because I felt like I had finally perfected the mic placement and er- oh. and, all- and everything else, and the preamps and all that. To me, this, when I listen to the record, particularly on headphones, this is where I finally got it right, and I wished I could have started over. But there was no way I could afford the studio time and. And the time to uh, to do that, so um, because and unfortunately, due to the, the the nature of those those kind of studios, it wasn't like we could leave the mics there, because I was basically coming in on early Saturday mornings, and I would sometimes have to get up really early to get in and be able to use the the uh, the studio space, and so I had to set set up everything, the baffles, the you know everything had to be set up, uh-huh. uh, you know every time. And I tried to make notes, and I would try to deal with it, but, but I finally got it right on with uh, Claudius Garden. At least that's how I feel about it.
0: Well, that's really fascinating. Would you mind if we take a little pause here, Spoon? I'd love to ask you to go into some more detail about the recording process that I think our listeners might appreciate it, too. So this
1: uh, record was recorded in Manhattan, at 19 Mercer Street, which is a building... I um, wish I could remember the man's name. Uh, a very famous person... In the recording world, uh, started that building. It's all uh, remixing, and it's mixing and remixing studios. And but then they have a studio in there for um, doing recording when it's necessary. Yeah, overdubbing and and or you know and just re-recording things that need to be re-recorded. And I I simply didn't have the funds available to to record this record the way I wanted to record it. You know at you know even people you know I know the people own dubway studios in New York and stuff and I just you know even at friends rates was it beyond my means at that time so I was lucky to get in there and um, so I tried a bunch of. I tried different microphones I uh, thought I was gonna use uh, my small Neumanns, but in that space I actually liked uh, these Octava these Russian mics that were hot rodded by Michael Jolly and he uh, he's that service is not available anymore, but, um, but basically, uh, they, uh, have totally different capsules and he rewires them. So basically it's just the outside and the grill of these octava mics. And they just, you know, had a nice warmth through them, similar to, to the, uh, older, uh, small Neumann's. But so I, what I would do is I would record in a left, right pattern, Uh, very similar to what you see me do in the Martin videos and for one man's guitar and back when I would be able to uh, record in Martin's uh, sound testing room before COVID hit um, you would see me recording with three microphones Uh, when we now do the modern recording at at the museum on stage I can't use the third microphone because the room is just way too boomy so what I had is two small diaphragms and uh, basically an XY position and then I had a large diaphragm that's uh, more directly in the traditional straight on it's that's 12th fret and then when I mix I would basically just bring in just enough so on that record I bring in the the large diaphragm mic which is also another hot rotted uh, Michael Jolly mic. I would bring that in in the mix just where you would not notice it was missing if it wasn't there so it's primarily the two uh, small diaphragm mics. The one, if uh, as the guitarist view, the one that's on the left side, the next side, is at the 12th fret but pointing at the 17th fret. And it is just out of reach of my hand leaning over. So I don't remember the exact distance, but it's a good ways back. This is something that Howie Emerson had taught me was to To record, if you're in a room that you like, record with the mics far enough out so you're getting some room and you're getting some air, and so and then the other microphone is uh, parallel to that but pointing at just behind the bridge. So that's how I set the mic placement up for those mics. And like I said, you know, every every Saturday I would go in there between. I guess this was recorded. June 10th to June 25th, 2018. So, there were, you know, probably five sessions involved in there. And I would have to set everything else up. But that was the goal, to get the mic set up that way. And then the, the large diaphragm mic uh, was out a, even a little farther. But that's basically how I set them up. Um, I, I use an Antelope uh, preamp and uh, Discrete 4. And Antelope is the company that gives you all those uh, digital mic modules so you can make something sound like, you know, all these different mics. And they have a bunch of other digital mic models. I've never used any of that. I just got them because I, I like to sometimes use up to four mics at a time. And so, so I wanted to have something with four preamps. And Antelope uh, was highly rated in terms of their how clean the preamps are. And so that's what I went with with that. And so, like I said, I would go in and I tried a bunch of different guitars, even borrowed some guitars. Ultimately, it came down to, sometimes, did I like the sound of it? And it came down to, other times, my playing and what I played. And so, ultimately, there's only three guitars on the album.
0: Well, I I have to ask you now, uh, this really makes me wonder, when you're talking about one certain guitar was on one track, When you're in the writing process, and I don't know how deep you wanna delve into some of these questions, say you're writing Abbotts Bromley, did you know while you're writing it which guitar would sound best or were you kinda making your choices during the recording process?
1: Well, certainly for the recording process, I made the choices during the recording process. But there's times where a guitar definitely influences the music that comes out of me and I think that's the case for a lot of people. I think um, when you get a new guitar, I honestly believe you're probably going to come up with music that you would have never come up with if it wasn't for that guitar. Uh, I think sometimes uh, you you know you instinctually start to play certain ways because of the kind of sound you're making with a guitar in terms of how how hard you're pressing or wagging the strings around or how hard you're playing or not how hard you know how soft you're playing and how long you let things ring out. And frankly, there are certain tunes. Steve McClouden's one of them. That I think sound best on a dreadnought, and you know, and I have this very world-class Brazilian adirondack dreadnought that's the back and sides are from 1966 D28 that had been destroyed, and our friends uh, Rich and Dave at Brothers Music in Wind Gap, Pennsylvania, yeah. they had just retired from the Martin factory, and and so I I gave them you know I wanted to give them some business, and they did a conversion, so it's got you know genuine what. Martin would call it authentic 1937 bracing, and hide glue for the top, and but it's got a modern neck uh, with a low profile and a, a regular neck rod. But I love how it sounds, and there's uh, tunes that aren't on there and Steves of Cloden that are you know robust instrumentals that I think sound best on that. I really couldn't get that guitar to work in that space and and record well with it, and so so uh so i gave up on that and i stayed with this the smaller auditorium sized bodies and um you know and i didn't have a lot of help it wasn't like i, I like i said i, had, I didn't go to dubway i didn't have like a professional engineers or anything like that you know helping me out in that circumstance i did this all by myself so might have uh, oh, wow. well have been a home studio but i don't have anything in my home that you know has the sound protection and you know the dampening all that stuff so when it came to the actual what's on the record sometimes it was i like the sound of the guitar better but there's a couple times where i said i wish i could use that take but i actually had a clam in there and so i can't use that take so so um but uh, i'll tell you what the three guitars were and then at the very end of all this i'll actually say which guitars and what tracks but um one of them is a 2004 OMC-28B, Lawrence Juber. Uh, it was my second Brazilian, Lawrence Juber. I really regretted settling the first one. And I have such a hard time with those V-necks with my old football injuries. But I had to have one, and I, and I now I regret selling that one too. But yeah, so that one's used <laughs> on, on uh, the majority of the tracks was the Brazilian Juber. Um, the uh, second place comes the... Custom uh, from 2017 the custom triple OC 21 TSP
0: the Ah. one that
1: uh, that uh, Maury and Laurie have uh, were selling for a while there and so that's uh, came in second place and then (laughs) And then third place uh, was the custom short scale Madagascar triple OC 28 that with the wooden binding that. Uh, was based on the Lawrence Juber models, but is in the short scale and has the GE uh, Golden Era style on uh, V-neck with the, uh, with the 1930s heel, which I find a little com- more comfortable than the regular modified V-necks. Um, that's Madagascar Rosewood X Spruce. It was, in fact, the very first uh, custom shop made, uh, guitar made in uh, um, Madagascar Rosewood uh, for a private uh, customer. It was ordered, wow. uh, it was, yeah, it was ordered the day, um, the, uh, the day uh, I went to Nam uh, Reveal at the Martin factory, and, uh, and Tim Teal was taking me through the, uh, the models for that year. And I said, well, it's been a year since you guys started using Madagascar Rosewood. Doesn't that mean people are allowed to, or, uh, order Madagascar Rosewood for custom guitars and he said I don't know and this young woman was walking by and he said would you ask Mr. Fair to come out here so Bob Fair comes out <laughs> and sees me and has that look of oh no now what and he, he comes out and he says uh, Tim says to him so are we going to allow uh, custom orders of the Madagascar Rosewood now and he looked at me and, and he said um, what do you want <laughs> <laughs> and I told and I started telling him, and he said, "Oh, hold on a second. He takes out this little jotter pad from his shirt pocket and takes out the little almost like golf course little pencil from behind his ear. And so we worked it out and and I you know, just kind of gestured to my left and said, "Well, my dealer happens to be standing right here, which happens to be uh, the the other person in this podcast." <laughs> and so Bob went back into his office and worked up a quote, and that was that. So, uh, And that guitar is now proudly and happily owned by uh, Jim Kalika, our good friend. So oh, wow. um, again, those V-necks, I had to give him up. So, so that came in third place, but those are the only uh, guitars that are on the record.
0: Well, pardon me just one minute. I'm just making my notes here. Recorded the entire album with rosewood. Okay, got it. <laughs> I'm going to say it. Why didn't you choose to record anything on this important album with mahogany?
1: I did record with mahogany, but they didn't make the cut uh, for the same <sighs> reason. So <laughs> I have my. Oh, say that again for posterity. I did. I did record uh, various tunes on various mahogany guitars, including my triple o c 16 from the 1990s that i love but uh, i don't know if it was the room microphones preamps whatever it was uh, or just those some of those cuts again i made a mistake or too many mistakes for my pick persnickety ways and so they didn't they didn't make the record
0: so of course i'm kidding but that's fascinating and as long as i've known you and as long as i've known this album i've just put it in my mind that i kind of pictured what you're playing but I never gave myself enough time to really be disciplined enough to to wonder and guess about some of these facts and to just realize that, I don't know, if you're a good record keeper or if you have a, a vault of stuff, it would be so interesting to me to find out later that you have some uh, unreleased material from this record that were recorded by guitars like that, like your your mahogany guitar, like anything that didn't make the cut if you have a a way of going back even for your own personal enjoyment have you ever gone to search to see even if it has one tiny little mistake are there are there tunes in the vault that would kinda give us a glimpse into what almost happened
1: well I guess that's a really good question unfortunately unfortunately two different hard drive deaths might have eliminated that stuff but I'm not sure that's a very good question I am not sure what survived uh, recovery and what didn't because you know like a like a, I guess a lot of artists um, once it was in the can and once it was out then you know more forward-thinking than that and it had not occurred to me um, I do know that when I when it comes to the recording software that I used I did keep the EQ settings they're all there you know, they're, when you go in and you you give it a setting, you give it a name. They're all there, and I've and I have them in the past. Um, when I've done my my uh, reviews at Martin, there have been times where instead of reinventing the wheel, um, I will uh, go in and I'll look at settings and say try this, because um, I don't do a lot of EQing per se when it comes to. The guitar review stuff, but there are times when I can hear really, uh, particularly in the factory. I mean, the factory uh, museum stage, I can hear really high-end stuff coming off the walls and stuff like that. That I'll go in and you know and, and massage and try to get rid of some anomalies from the from the space. But huh. um, but I I keep all that stuff for reference and and uh, also settings for compression settings for limiting and stuff like that, which I had to do on this record. I've never liked using that stuff, but uh, different guitars, different days, there were times when I had to uh, put on some compression or a limiter. And I don't know if people know the difference, but a a limiter basically gives you a brick wall that that says nothing is going to, there will be no peak beyond this. And it's different than than compressing, so and I would you know I would do that uh, too. It's you know it's di- it's difficult really to record acoustic guitars uh, without applying some of that stuff to get um, particularly if you're you know when you're ma- mastering as they call it, which I did myself. They always say you should get somebody else to master, but I couldn't afford that either. But um, but um, when it came to the mastering stuff, wanting to make sure that the that the levels you know were at least in the same ballpark across the twelve. Tunes. Software I used was uh, I use Reaper, which is a shareware. You know, it's a you know public software. I I don't remember. It's been so long since I got it. They may ask for like a sixty dollar donation, but they 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 don't like turn it off on you if you don't you know put it in there. And it's constantly being updated. And just like with the preamps and all that stuff, it's it there's way more bells and whistles than I ever need when I'm just. Basically, recording acoustic guitar on you know multiple tracks. So, yeah. but um, that's what I've always used, and and it's you know it's not much different than than Cubase or Pro Tools or whatever. When it comes to the tracks and manipulating the tracks, they're all they're all pretty similar programs.
0: So it wasn't like you ever had a recorder mix down 20 tracks.
1: I've never well I've done I mean I've played around with that stuff and and you heard the the CD I threw together for the Second Martin Fest where there is some multi-tracking there you know where I put down some lead guitar stuff or I'll have multiple you know multiple guitars and things like that but not like my friends that do you know synth drums and and you know four different synth synthesizers and all that stuff and people that I've recorded for I've always been amazed to watch people that are really lo- using 64 tracks. <laughs> and
0: uh, I mean, you know, I, 64 is too many, but 20 is a good number.
1: Um, <laughs> well, have you used, I mean like when you did your CE, how many tracks do you think you used by the time you were through with everything?
0: Are you asking me a question that has the number 20 in it? I don't understand.
1: Um, <laughs> uh-oh, are we getting close to
0: 20 questions? Your segue game is weak today, Spoon. I'm sorry. That's quite all right. That's quite all right.
1: (laughs) Well, this is the game that we play here at Martins and More where one of us thinks up a Martin guitar model and the other gets up to 20 questions to uh, guess which that is and up to maximum three guesses Now we seem to be having a little civil war here because I didn't think the <laughs> guesses c- counted as questions but my well last time assumed that they that was true so let's I'll leave it up to you as the host of the show as I'm just the Ed McMahon who sits there and goes,
0: <laughs> um, we'll have a civil war about that I, I believe we are 50-50 in co host one of our loyal listeners his name on YouTube is Andorra's Revenge and over the past couple weeks it's been Mari's Revenge because I got my face splattered all over the, the game two weeks ago so I, I really, really made it impossibly unfun for Spoon to play last week. And maybe we'll become a little bit more civil. Uh, I'm surely hoping that today's round is not as painful for both of us and the listeners, but I would love to try my hand again at your version of my 20 questions.
1: So wait a second, are you setting me up saying for the second week in a row, you want to have a model and have me guess?
0: No, I just forget which week it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, all right, I need to just double-check something here, because I do not want to be caught out giving bad information. So you now have 20 questions on the clock. Go.
0: Is this guitar bigger than a Dreadnought? No. Is this guitar smaller than a double-o? No. Is this guitar the size of a triple O? I should have guessed you were going to ask that, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I hate this game ever since week two. Um, Is this guitar a double O? No. Is this guitar a six-string guitar?
1: Yes, that's your first yes, and that was question
0: number five. Is this guitar a Little Martin? No, that's question number six. Is this guitar the Backpacker?
1: That's question number seven, and no.
0: Is this guitar an O?
1: No, and you're really going to hate yourself.
0: (laughs) Is this guitar a bass?
1: No, you asked me if it was a six string guitar. That's nine. I think you've already out clevered yourself gonna really kick
0: yourself. (laughs) Have I asked enough questions that I should know which size this is?
1: Not exactly, that's no. (sighs) Is this guitar? So let's review, because you're now up to 10. Your first question was is this guitar larger than a dreadnought? Your second guitar was this uh, guitar smaller than a double O? Your third one was it a triple O? Your fourth one was. Gosh, I don't remember now. <laughs> All
0: right, my eleventh question is going to be Is this a dreadnought? Yes. I do hate myself the way I phrase that question. I've got to be way more clear in every <laughs> facet of life, especially this show. Okay, is this guitar made with mahogany back and sides?
1: Finally, no.
0: You finally said no? Is this guitar made with rosewood back and sides? Yes. Does this guitar have pearl anywhere on the front? Yes. Is this guitar a D42? No. That's 14 questions, by my reckoning. Is this guitar a D41?
1: (laughs) That's 15 questions, no.
0: Is this guitar a D45? Yes! (laughs) 16 questions. Am I allowed to carry my four reserves into next week? It's <laughs> 16 questions. You get seduced by the size
1: thing, I think. But the D45, the Dreadnought in style 45, is of course the flagship of the Martin Standard Series. It is made with an unbelievable amount of abalone pearl, uh, high colored abalone inlaid around the edge of the top, the sound hole rosette on all edges of the back and the side including where the heel of the neck comes in and also the box around the end pin area and of course the gorgeous huge big luscious hexagons on the fretboard and a beautiful multicolored abalone the classic C Martin F logo gold colored tuners uh, just uh, uh, rosewood back and sides, of course, the top grade. That you can possibly get forward-shifted scallop racing. Um, I don't need to tell uh, Maury this because he is one lucky customer who has one. And, uh, oh, and yeah. so we're all envious of Maury's D45, if not his 20-question skills.
0: So. Well, I I don't know what to say. At least I beat last time's record of 20 with no trophies to show for it. But that was such a fun version of that game, Spoon. I really appreciate you letting me win this time. And I'm going to be a little bit easier on you next week. Maybe I'll let you get it in 17.
1: (laughs) That's big of you.
0: All right, we've talked about six tunes, three guitars, three microphones, 20 questions. We still have six wonderful tunes to talk about. Spoon, if there's any way possible, can we steer the conversation back to the matter at hand, and can you keep telling me great things about Lost and Haunted Ways, available at TSPGuitar.com?
1: Well, thank you, I'd be happy to. Uh, So the seventh tune is called The Bicyclist, and it is an imaginary bike ride, uh, including gear changes and a very steep hill uh again this is in standard tuning uh key of c and i try to use as many open strings as possible when i go up the neck so when i i do a high uh, you know like a high f up there and uh, a high c that are basically using open uh open chords and, uh, you know, having to pay attention to the bass notes and stuff like that, of course. But um, but anyway, this was inspired by my favorite bicyclist, who is the person that uh, inspired the entire record, but it's what finally made me put it together. This was one, again, one of those songs that I would go uh, play in a park or late night or whatever and just, uh, and just never really nail it down, and I would just be happy to take these imaginary bike rides, as it were, out in the countryside. And then I was invited to uh, perform in an episode of Bushwick Book Club, which is a live show here in New York City that's uh, almost monthly. And the local producer, asks a group of artists to read a book and then write songs or make some other kind of art, not just uh, musicians, but these days it's mainly musicians, to write uh, to write a song or a piece of music that was inspired by the book. And this is a show that exists in uh, everywhere from Sweden and the UK and all over, uh, all over the states, New Orleans, Los Angeles, um, Seattle, different places have them, but it all started in the Bushwick section in Brooklyn, right here in New York City. And the book is that I was asked to compose for was a book called Schwinn, the best present ever, and yeah. by Don Ralph, and it is a nonfiction book about the history of the Schwinn bicycle company, and um, and you know it's one of those picture books, and so uh, that's what really forced me into to codifying this into the tune that it became, so that's the bicyclist. And this has been used many times on uh, as introductions to uh, Mars music videos and a one-man guitarist videos, so you'll certainly recognize it when you hear it. Then that's this is being followed by another tone poem of sorts, and it's called Cotswold Yellowstone Blues, and this is in Dadgad, and the Cotswolds is a landscape in southern England it's a it's a swath of rolling green hill country that runs from the the Thames Valley west of Oxford all the way to the Welsh marches and it's a place where this spooky melancholy can settle like fairy fog into the uh, deeply overgrown dells and up over the forlorn hill crests that are now bald except for these ominous gnarled standing stones that are here and there, tilting this way and that that mark the location of the barrows, which are ancient tombs of prehistoric princes right out of the Lord of the Rings. And that same blonde, uh, weird blonde stone is used to make everything in the Cotswolds from the farm walls to the storybook villages to the I think 3,000 year old Stone circle, um, like similar to Stonehenge, but smaller scale, and uh, and at that circle right now you can go there, and right in the center you're going to find where the local druids and witches have left little straw people or other nature offerings, that I can tell you are left unmolested by anyone who knows what's good for them, and um, and so they the thought of countless feet and countless armies marching across those weathered hills for countless centuries is, is where this came from, and it's that, the soundtrack to that. So, uh, so that's Cotswolds Yellowstone Blues. I don't know if you consider it ghostly, but uh, I kind of imagine it as the ghosts of the armies heading out <laughs> over there. And um and the very next tune is truly a ghost story. And um, those two tunes, uh, Cotswold Yellowstone Blues and The White Lady of Tutbury, is where the, the album got its name, Lost in Haunted Ways. The working title of the project was Abbott's Bromley and other tunes or you know, something like that. Something like that. But um but once the White Lady of Tutbury was codified, uh It became, uh, a. then I thought about doing the White Lady of Tutbury and other tunes or whatever, but then ultimately Lost in Haunted Waste came to me. Um, Anyone who's heard my guitar uh, review videos or my Morris Music videos has heard uh, almost all the stuff that I've done on those uh, are based on tunes from this record, um, but none more so than... uh, White Lady of Tutbury—that's the opening fingerstyle stuff that I do—is from there. It's not exactly the same. I purposely don't uh, do it exactly like the the, the tunes, um, but um, I always wanted to avoid copyright issues on YouTube, so I just came up with bits of music from various tunes that I play, and that's where the you know the reviews come from. But that opening piece of fingerstyle that I always do. Is uh, comes from the center section of the White Lady of Tutbury. It is a uh, kind of a suite with three parts to it. And uh, Tutbury Castle uh, is a very cool place. It's a ruined castle. Uh, There there had been a fortress there, probably since prehistoric times, up on the hill. Um, The first castle was built directly after the Normans. It would have been wooden. Um, It was the seat of power for. Uh, John O'Gott, the first duke of Lancaster, um, who is the real-life inspiration for Tywin Lannister in the Game of Thrones series, which, of mm. course, was going hot and heavy at the time. This was all coming together. And he is the uh, progenitor of several English kings, as well as uh, uh, the Tudor kings of Henry the VII, Seventh, Henry the VIII, and Elizabeth were descended from his mistress, and... Um, who eventually he married after his uh, second wife died, and so the pope legitimized those uh, heirs, and ultimately they went on to become the uh, the Tudor kings. But uh, he was a an amazing soldier uh, uh, and and power you know broker at the time. Anyway, um, also it was one of. Uh, uh, Mary Queen of Scots' prisons. It wasn't the one where she was executed at, but it, she had been there for some time, and so a lot of people believe that the white lady that haunts one of the towers at the ruins of Tutbury Castle uh, is uh, Queen Marie de Acost, or how you say Scot- Scotland in, uh, in French, and she would have been a French speaker, of course, in those days. So. We didn't get to see the ghost, but it is certainly a very evocative place. The castle was torn down after the Civil War to punish the uh, the people in the area for supporting the crown, and then the crown left it as a ruin, as a as a monument to uh, uh, King Charles the First, who lost his head. And I am thoroughly convinced that the ghost is not Mary, Queen of Scots, but. Is John O'Gant's first wife who died quite young while he was away in foreign wars and actually died at the castle? And um, I think she is actually my vote for the ghost that walks the ruins. And so um, the opening bit is called John O'Gant's Gateway and it's basically uh, the soundtrack to the marshaling of an army and the marching away of troops. The second one which is used for that center uh, for the opening sequences of my guitar reviews is called the Lady of the Tower and basically imagining uh, the lady left behind to while away the hours and uh, perhaps remain at that castle forever and then the third is called the Ghost's Walk which kind of comes up to modern times in the the ruins and the ghost coming out at night at Tutbury Castle. So (laughs) if you ever get up into the Midlands of England, I highly recommend it. It's a not a, it's a pretty uh, short drive from Derby. Uh, It's in Staffordshire, but just over the Derbyshire border. And it's a pretty cool place. Um, Also the best beer in the world comes from, (laughs) uh, comes from uh, up in uh, that area and uh, Burton-on-Trent in, in Derbyshire. So check it out, if you can. There's my travel log.
0: Well, it's probably too early to talk about, but I think I'm gonna go as John O'Gaunt for Halloween.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's one portrait of him that was made after he died, but if you, uh, if you look him up, anybody who's watched Game of Thrones, you can tell that the armor and look of and Lannister was definitely greatly influenced by that one portrait. But um,
0: I'm making jokes, but this really is really cool. I'm trying to find a way to sound funny, but I shouldn't be. This is really uh, a deeper dive than I thought I was going to get, and I hope our listeners are agreeing, but I think this is fascinating, not even really hearing only the recording techniques or the inspirations, but there's so much history in what you're telling us here. This is just so wild. So, yeah, I
1: mean, just to give you an idea of the time frames involved in this, uh, Henry II, who was the... The king that Peter O'Toole plays in Beckett and Line of Winter* and was the father of Ly- Richard Lionheart in the, you know, the, the Robin Hood king, uh, he tried to take the castle by siege in the 1100s during what was a, an earlier civil war. Um, and um, they don't call it a civil war, but that's what it was. And um, this was before he was king, eventually became king. Um, John of Gaunt was 350 years later. So America is just over 200 years. So 50 years later, you get up into the time of, of John of Gaunt. And then uh, and Blanche Bolingbroke, who the Bolingbroke family, who made English history, are also uh, a, a big power broker family. Blanche was his first wife. And, um, and she uh, and her daughter, who made the king of Portugal, um, or is a descendant from him. I forget how this works now. It's been too long. Um... Her daughter ended up marrying into Portuguese society, and all of the kings and queens of Portugal, including the ones that still exist now, are descended from John Agant and Blanche, Bol- Blanche Bolingbroke, and, and then um, her, their grandsons and stuff became the kings of England and great-grandsons. Um, so uh, and then the you know the Civil War was was later on sixteen hundreds, but anyway um, there used to be a very cool video out there. Somebody did a computerized model, like a, almost like a drone flying around a computerized model of what they think Tutbury Castle looked like and the Tudor times during the time of of uh, of Mary Queen of Scots. I don't know if it's still out there, but it's it's kind of cool. Wow. But um but so that's that ghost story and that's where the uh, where the title of the album came from, basically, on Lost and Haunted Ways. And then the tenth song is Abbas Bromley Reprise, the reprise of Abbas Bromley, which where Abbas Bromley is a that Anglican hymn kind of sound, something that you could imma- I could imagine a choir singing in a in a uh Episcopal Church in, in England, Abbots Bromley Reprise is like a jaunty overland trip out in the countryside. And I al- almost uh, hear it as like a a march and a song. Like I said, there are lyrics and someday they may be recorded, but it's the kind of thing that I could see, you know, people marching down, whether soldiers or not, you know, and, and singing this sort of robust, uh, uplifting tune about Abbots Bromley. And uh, and that's also, that's in standard tuning. Uh, let's see. So is, uh, let's see, Whiteley Tutbury standard tuning. So, yeah, so I went back to the bicyclist That's the one that's in the weirdest tuning. of Yellowstone Blues, I think I said is Dadgad. Okay, now we're catching yeah. up to Old Park. Uh, Old Park is a musical interpretation of a lazy Sunday in a... Park in central London. Um, a short walk from where uh, she used to live. She no longer lives in London. She lives in a, one of the uh, first uh, commuter towns outside of London now, being a great lover of the countryside. And, um, but up in the Islington Highbury area, uh, Clisald Park. It has like its own little zoo, and it's and nowadays it's got like a big kitty park in it. that used to not have that, but basically it starts out early morning, and 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 then with a deserted park that gets more and more crowded with you know, with joyful park goers on a nice sunny Sunday. That's the idea of that tune, and that's also in open tuning, uh, but with a capo. And then the very last piece is riding back from Boston, which started it all which basically tells the musical story of a fella heading back down the old post road from Boston, where he said goodbye to his true love uh, for the very last time before she sailed over the sea. And so I kind of pictured him on horseback, but I was actually in a Greyhound bus at the time, (laughs) (laughs) as it was our last meeting and before we had to go our separate ways. It's It's a long story, but like I said, we're still... We still stay in touch, and we still have very high regard for one another. And uh, she happily allowed me to use her photography on the album and uh, on the website uh, pictures about the album. And though I may have one or two in there myself, I think she she took most of them. But um, she's a very good amateur photographer, semi-professional amateur photographer. But um, so, and that is the, in a nutshell, the 12 tunes on Lost and Haunted Ways. Um, people can order the album if they want directly through uh, PayPal at one man's at OneMans.com. You can also reach out to me at uh, one man's at OneMans.com email address. And, um, and if you don't use PayPal and want to uh, use some other method and um, pricing is reasonable, I don't remember what I put the prices on right now, I'll have to look it up on the website. But uh, but I think prices are reasonable <laughs> within the continental United States, uh, Alaska and Hawaii. Um, also there's a separate pricing for Canada and overseas and of course there's a digital download um, and some people like to get both, yeah, they like to have the hard CD and the digital download. So.
0: And if you can't tell by now, I really like this CD. And if you don't know that I like this CD, that just means you've never seen anything I've ever put on YouTube, because that's all we ever talk about, and it really is for good reason. Uh, I'm a lover of Martin guitars, instrumental music, and this. If you like either acoustic guitar or Martin, you'll just love this CD. And if you uh, if you know somebody who's looking for something like this, it also makes a great gift. That's where I'm going to stop the commercialism, but I'm only saying because I listen <laughs> to it and I love it. So, well,
1: I hope I hope you're. I hope your listeners aren't sick of hearing it by now. But but I'm going to close this uh, out by talking about the guitars that are on the different tracks. So like I oh, said, yeah. the Brazilian Lawrence Juber signature model, which is an OM-28 with an Adirondack spruce top, but with standard bracing, not the golden ear bracing. And uh, he plays really hard. I play really hard. I like having that extra strength behind the Adirondack. Um, you don't, with that kind of bracing, you sacrifice some of the... A, uh, responsive sensitivity that GE bracing gives you. So, but if you are uh, you know, a robust player, you like to dig in um, I sometimes find that you get a better attack feeling out of the standard bracing even with Adirondack. But anyway um, it is also has a modified v- V-neck and that's on track 1, 3, and 4 which is riding off to Boston, Abbotts Bromley and the Steeds of Culloden and then on 6, 9, and 11. So, Claudia's Garden, White Lady of Tutbury, and Klusold Park. Those are all the Juber. The custom TSP model, which is Guatemalan rosewood, back and sides, with an Adirondack spruce top, short scale, low profile neck with a 1 11 16 inch profile uh, cutaway, uh, it's got scallop bracing, but again, they are uh, standard scallop, scalloping. And uh, Old Style 21 is based on David Lindley's late 30s, early 40s uh, OM 21. And that is just on two tunes. That's on Morningstar or Staffordshire and Abbott's Bromley Reprise. Oh, I beg your pardon. That's not what the... That's on four tracks. I beg your pardon. I thought that sounded wrong. That's on track 5, 7, 8 and 12, so that is the Ibex and Blackstock Road, which was the first tune I recorded with that guitar, and re- and first tune that I composed on that guitar, actually. And then uh, seven is The Bicyclist, eight is Cotswolds Yellowstone Blues, and, um, and 12 is Riding Back from Boston. And then the custom short scale, uh, Madagascar, Rosewood, Adirondacks, Bruce Tripolo, that our friend now uh, owns Jim. Uh, that's on 2 and 10. So that's on Morning Star over Staffordshire and Abbott's Bromley's
0: Reprise. So if I'm paying attention, and this is going to be on the test, riding off to Boston and riding back from Boston are two different guitars, and Abbott's Bromley and the Abbott's Bromley Reprise are two different guitars. I would have not guessed that if you wouldn't have told me.
1: Ah, that's interesting, that is true. And uh, also the second uh, of each of those pairs is recorded with a capo. So so I think I uh, was reprise reprised it was recorded with the capo at three, though sometimes I do it with capo at four just, just to do that. And I Bromley uh, and uh, writing I'm sorry, riding off to Boston has the capo. Um, not riding back from Boston. Running off to Boston has the capo and capo. I'm pretty sure Um, there are tablature available for a lot of these tunes so but not all of them and I don't really know if I'm ever gonna have uh, the ability or time to to uh, make all of them but most of the uh, tunes are available in tab and um, and at least one of them I put out with uh, the tab available uh, with the uh, as if you're using a capo, uh, and, or uh, as if you're not using a capo for people who are going to use other instruments on this. So in other words, I think the song's in C, uh, with the capo on the second fret, and I'm pretty sure it's close park that may be also available with tablature for D uh, tuning, because
0: that's really what it is. But anyway. Careful kids, try this at home.
1: <laughs> well i hope people will try it at home actually i've been very pleased with uh i get lots of orders from for the tabs from all over the world i'm i'm very i'm i i'm quite uh chuffed as they would say in england that uh that my music is that you know scattered far and wide and that people like it enough that they want to play the play the tunes and of course our friend Roeth roth is uh is extremely complimentary by not only recording some of my uh, compositions, but actually putting them on YouTube uh, with his own performances. So, oh
0: so. yeah, okay, He's killing it. If you get an opportunity, find him on YouTube. Spoon, if there's ever a week you can't be here, I'm going to call him. He's so much like you in these recordings, it's scary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He'd be a very fun guest. He's a fascinating guy. So, you know, in terms of what he does with his working world and all that. So that might not be a bad idea for certain podcasts to have... Uh, guests like that on. I Maybe mean, should look into that.
0: Ah, and the seed was planted, and uh, <laughs> following the same logic, if you want us to be chuffed, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We might even read your review on the air. Smith Jeff writes, you guys did it again. Thank you for another awesome show. Mari, darn it. Too bad you can't ship to Japan. Your OM28V Custom sounds just like what I was looking for. Darn. Laugh out loud, catch you guys Monday, and all the best. Keep them coming. End quote. All right, Spoon, so as the co-host of this show, I just want to apologize for that language, but I read them like I see them.
1: (laughs) Well, that's what you're good at.
0: (laughs) That's going to be a weekly thing, Sundance, huh? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, this was really a very fascinating show to me. I kind of knew what we might be getting into when we talked about doing it, but as we actually progressed through it, I learned so much that I had no idea was going to be here. So Spoon, thank you so much for taking the time, bringing us into your mindset for a little while, with regards to recording, writing, and being inspired to create Lost and Haunted Ways. And it's, uh, it was already a good album, but for me it's even better now knowing some of the secrets behind it. From all of us at Maury's Music, Thanks for listening. Hear you later. This has been a presentation of Maury's Music, your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at maurysmusic.com.